Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This week's special episode will be hosted by Raphael Mangual, a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute and contributing editor of City Journal. Ralph recently joined communication consultant Yael Bar-Tour, police chief Art Acevedo, and Secret Service Communications Chief Anthony Guglielmi for a conversation about policing in the information age. We hope you enjoy. Now, so I'm, I'm really excited about this, this conversation. So for those of you listening who don't know, my name is Rafael Mangual. I'm a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. I'm also head of research for our Policing and Public Safety Initiative. And in another life, uh, before I, I went to law school, I um, did communication strategy for another policy organization where I was in charge of uh, managing our social media presences. So this is a, this is a really cool um, sort of um, clashing of, of two worlds of mine, um, and, and I'm really excited for the conversation. So I'm going to set it up really quick before I introduce um, our other speakers, and then uh, we'll just kind of go right into the discussion, which I hope you all will find fruitful. Um, so, you know, we, we live very much at sort of the height of the information age, but in a lot of ways, we also live at the height of the misinformation age. And social media, I think, has proven to be one of the most powerful tools for the dissemination of information. Um, but it's, I think, also proven to be a real challenge um, for certain institutions to navigate, particularly because criticism of those institutions and the demonization of those institutions has been facilitated in a way that just you know never existed before. And so we live in a country of nearly 340 million people, almost uh, you know half of whom are, are walking around with cell phone cameras every single day. And so we're all really journalists in, in one way or another. And what I think that's done is it's created the impression um, that really statistically rare things happen all the time, right? If you um, are able to get one video of a negative police citizen interaction for every day of the year, that's 365 incidents, which, you know, is statistically is not a lot if you are taking into account the fact that, you know, we have uh, more than 300 million people in the country, you know, more than 600,000 police officers and working across 18,000 police departments and we're making tens of millions of contacts a year. Um, but it's really easy to create the impression that those kinds of negative reactions, uh, interactions are, are, are really much more common than they are. And I think that's created a real challenge um, the police departments have, have, you know, up until recently really been struggling to navigate. And, you know, one of the things that I've, I've been encouraged by is that more and more uh, law enforcement agencies from the federal level down to the state and local level have been sort of taking the initiative um, to, to manage and own their own messages by having a presence on social media. And so I wanted to have a conversation about what the opportunities and challenges are in this space. And uh, to join me in this conversation, we have three really fantastic guests, um, including uh, uh, Chief Art Acevedo, who has served as uh, a police chief of the Miami Police Department, the Austin Police Department, the Houston Police Department. I mean, one of the most accomplished police executives of our time. Um, we've also got Anthony Guglielmi, who is uh, currently um, managing communications for the Secret Service and uh, served as the chief of communications uh, in the Chicago Police Department. And we also have Yael Bartour, who is a social media consultant to the stars, <laughs> um, just a, a really fantastic communications professional who for six years served as the director of social media and digital strategy for the New York Police Department. And so um, I want to thank you all for joining me for this conversation. I'm really excited um, to have you. And uh, I'll jump right into it with 
um, a question that I want to start uh, with Chief Acevedo with is what do you see right now as sort of the biggest opportunities or value adds of having a social media presence as a police department? What, what are the gains to be had? Why do this? Well, I think, hey, good morning, everyone. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor to be on with, uh, with the uh, two other guests. And, that, you know, that, to me, I was an early adopter, I guess, of, so, of, of social media. I joined Twitter in April of 2012 uh, because I think that when you think about young people and you think about the flow of information, it's moving at a million miles a minute. And if you're not paying attention, especially in a world of uh, bots and disinformation and intentional disinformation by foreign governments that are trying to tear apart trust in this country between law enforcement and the communities and uh, even even uh, the people in this country and, and the government. It's critical that we in law enforcement and in public service, regardless of which agency uh, or which domain of government, it's critical for us to be pushing out information. It's got to be timely. It's got to be quick. And most importantly, um, it's got to be transparent. And I think it's a tool that as an executive I've used. If you look at my account, I've made mistakes. I've uh, sometimes get a little crazy on there. But at the end of the day, I, I really believe that uh, that transparency breeds trust, familiarity breeds trust, and information uh, sharing breeds trust. And this is, this is the reason that in my departments, I've made it uh, a priority and I've made it a personal priority as an executive. Yeah, so I appreciate that. It sounds like you know the the opportunity here is is to kind of you know own a message and and be a source of information that maybe counter some of the misinformation out there. Um, Anthony, I, I want to get a sense from you as you know, to what do you agree with that? Do you think there are other potential value adds and opportunities, particularly from a um, departmental social media presence perspective? Right. I mean, you know, a lot of departments now have their own. Um, uh, Twitter accounts, Facebook accounts, uh, a lot of precincts have their own Twitter accounts, Facebook accounts. You know, what do you see as, as kind of the main um, value add here? Absolutely. And, and thanks again for, for having me on. I, I, I couldn't say it better. So I, I first started using social media in 2009. Baltimore PD, when I was running com communications there, was I think the second police department ever to start pushing out real-time crime information on a social platform. And the reason why is we wanted to find a way to better connect with the people that we serve. And, and social media has allowed us to take our message and our story and our brand direct to consumer, that those who are either in our communities or are very closely following our interests. And it, uh, it's, it's a top of the funnel approach. And, and that's usually led with, led with people on the top, like Chief Acevedo, who um, understands the importance of having a direct connection with the community, both in person and in virtual forums like this. So, Yael, I, I want to direct the same question to you, although in a slightly different way, because you've actually been the one executing these strategies in, in on probably the biggest stage in the law enforcement community, the NYPD. Um, you know, in, in terms of someone who actually has done this job, you know, has it been your experience that these are indeed the value adds. Are there things um, that you've seen uh, as benefits that maybe you weren't expecting to see? Hi. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's been, um, you know, it's been incredibly beneficial. Um, I think one of the things that we did pretty early on in the NYPD is decentralize uh, social media accounts, uh, which is pretty ambitious at the time. And, you know, thankfully, um, Commissioner Bratton was 
um, you know, very instrumental to kind of leading leading the charge there. Uh, and what we what we did is we allowed people in their neighborhoods to speak directly to their cops and hear directly from their cops with the idea being that, you know, it's one thing to have a message coming from the police department that's more more official or maybe talking about city level things. And it's another thing to know what's going on on your block. And um, that that is very beneficial. It still is uh, and has great feedback from both the cops and the community. Um, but there, there are a lot of things that I think are really nice. One of the things that I didn't expect um, or, or really didn't, didn't see coming, because I had done some research about this beforehand, um, and I didn't talk much about the internal effects of it. And I thought that was really interesting um, to see how social media uh, was being used sometimes as a way to <clears throat> even, even affect morale, which is a, a really tricky uh, topic right now in policing. So if you, through social media, can highlight your cops or give them a shout out, recognize their good work, and then you see that good work being amplified by the media, uh, you know, it, it definitely had an effect that I personally didn't see coming. And it was just, it was really nice to be able to give police officers that stage to talk about themselves, which is something they really hadn't had before in, in many police departments. You know, I, I want to stay with you for a second because, you know, again, as someone who's, who has executed these strategies um, on behalf of, of the nation's largest police department, you know, I, I, I expect that, you know, you, you said that Commissioner Bratton was, um, you know, very much open uh, uh, to this kind of uh, approach, which doesn't surprise me in the least. He is, you know, uh, in my humble opinion, uh, a very innovative police executive and, and kind of always has had that streak. Um, but I suspect that, you know, police executives in general are a little risk averse. Um, you know, maybe aren't as comfortable or well versed in other departments. I mean, do you see um, uh, are, are there particular things that that maybe some police executives don't fully appreciate from your perspective as an executor? Oh, are wow. there challenges that that you know <laughs> you think still need to be overcome? Where, where, um, in terms of start. getting departments on board. Yeah, yeah. yeah tell, um, tell us. Yeah, there are a lot of challenges. I, I think there is a, a great willingness to participate now, um, which is great. Um, I tell police chiefs when I talk to them, you know, you don't have to like this. It, it's okay. It's not, I'm not expecting you to go and be on Instagram in your personal life. And, and I know I don't participate as much as maybe the average person either. But you do have to recognize that this is a tool. And this is a tool for creating relationships with your community and strengthening relationships. And, uh, you know, more often than not, and this happened a lot at NYPD too, is we'd have to tell people no. So we'd have to say, hey, you know, you, you shouldn't have your own social media account. So uh, there's definitely is more uh, of an inclination now to participate. Uh, unfortunately, and I think this is true of, of a lot of public sector industries, not just policing, is that there's still a difficulty in kind of using it correctly. So, you know, if you look at like, uh, you know, Boston after the Boston bombing and Boston PD uh, was doing some great stuff on social media, um, but there, it, was, it was so unique, right? It was still kind of, wow, the police is on social media. Uh, those, those days are over. Now the expectations that not only that you be on social media, but that you be very good at it, that you be transparent, that you be engaging, that you put out good content. Uh, and that's that's difficult for a lot of people because it's not, you know, it's not a, usually a police executive's 
necessarily uh, something that they do on a day-to-day basis. So it is still a challenge to try to use it effectively. Um, But thankfully, I think a lot of police departments that I speak to, they recognize the importance of it. And if they don't, I I always ask them, you know, have you had any protests in your community uh, related to Minneapolis, related to George Floyd, related to something that happened very far away. And if you do, if you had, which we know everybody had, that's because of social media. And if, if you're not out there, then, you know, your story is being told by others. Yeah, Anthony, I want to kind of ask the same question. I mean, is there something that you've seen throughout your career that law enforcement agencies haven't quite come to fully appreciate that that you think that they should is like if there was one thing that you need departments to get better at to take full advantage of of the benefits of the social media presence what is it you know i can say this now that i'm here but um I, i think the federal government can learn a lot from state and local police leaders i mean speaking for the secret service you know we have we have a global operation uh in protecting the essentially the symbol of america and really the nation's preeminent agency for investigating all types of cyber crimes and the financial systems. Uh, yet we were probably one of the one of the latest agencies to, to, to even jump on social media. When, when departments were doing this, you know, in, in the early um, to mid 2000s, I think the federal government has just been slow, slow to catch up to state and local domestic policing. So um, I think there, there's a lot of room to grow on, on the federal side in terms of of the right way to use social media to better connect with communities so that uh, people feel like their federal government is working in, in their local neighborhood and local community. So that's certainly an area that I hope to, to grow here. We have a, a very robust social team and uh, planning to push out more positive content about what the Secret Su- Service does uh, each day. So Chief Acevedo, you're, I think you're probably uh, one of the more savvy uh, police executives when it comes to social media presences. I mean, you've built an incredibly large following, um, and and I think you've you sort of proven yourself to be a, a reliable source of information, um, and and also someone who's regularly active, which I think is a huge part of being effective on social media. I mean, when I was uh, you know doing this back in the day, you know, my my sort of big uh, pet peeve was that you needed to have content coming out on a regular basis. And, you know, if you weren't, um, you know, tweeting regularly, you just weren't going to be able to build out a following. And so my question to you is, is this something that you see the kind of next generation of police executives building into their portfolios? Or, you know, do do you see a kind of generational gap between, you know, willingness uh, and skill um, when it comes to social media engagement and, and what would you tell kind of the next generation of, of police executives um, with respect to to how they should go about managing their their brands online? Well, look, I think that uh, uh, not enough of them are you, uh, you know, there's 18,000 police departments give and take. Uh, many are using it effectively, but there's still a lot of uh, folks that are that are hesitant to use it, especially police chiefs, because, you know, the most replaceable person on police department, especially in this environment, is the police chief, right? I mean, they're, they're falling like flies. So I think it really m- makes a lot of folks pause uh, out of fear that they're going to make a mistake and maybe uh, lose their jobs. But uh, I believe that our number one responsibility is to build trust uh, and the head of an organization uh, as the most visible person and the policymaker 
the more that the public gets to hear from you, see from, uh, hear from you, see you, uh, see what you're up to, uh, and hopefully you're effective at it, the greater the trust you build. And that's a good, that's the one for the police officers, men and women that you're leading in the community. You know, I've used it as a chief, uh, and I've taken a lot of criticism. People think, oh, this guy's a hound. What they don't get is that uh, what a better way, uh, for example, Hurricane Harvey, when we're telling people to stay home, I started using Periscope when it existed. Now I think it's just uh, uh, live and actually putting out information to the extent that by doing that, we lost radio. We, uh, our 911 system was completely backed up. 10,000 calls were pending and people couldn't get through. We, as a result of what we were doing, people started actually using Twitter to communicate uh, that they were trapped, uh, to ask for help. And I, in turn, would send that to my uh uh, to my uh, headquarters, who, and then they would dispatch people. So the more you use it, I don't see how you can be successful and achieve the, your full potential as an organization unless the department head and uh, the organization itself. The other thing I think is really important is the fact that it has to be a 24-hour operation. And all of my, and, and, and all, all of my departments, what was happening is that we have these real-time crime centers, yet they weren't pushing out information because they didn't think that was their job. And so we made sure we got them training. So when the helicopter's flying overhead in the neighborhood at uh, three o'clock in the morning, uh, Anna Sabana uh, in uh, Austin created a hash- hashtag, what the helicopter? <laughs> and the good thing about that is not only they tell people, give them information what was going on, but it also showed the value of air operations in terms of public safety. So uh, it's, it's a huge win and I'm hoping that uh, it'll continue to grow as we move forward. Yeah, you know, it, it seems to me like one of um, uh, the challenges in, in terms of navigating a social media presence as a police department is managing the reality that you're going to use one platform, but you're going to need to communicate to different constituencies, right? So we've, we've heard a little bit about how we can use social media to build trust with communities. I want to talk more about that in a little bit, but one of your other constituencies is the, the sort of rank and file. And, you know, one, I, I talk to a lot of, of, of beat cops, you know, as, as part of the work that I do in my journalism. And, you know, they are very, very aware as to the messages that departments are putting out on social media. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, it, it, it's really heartening for them to see the department, quote unquote, have their back. And other times, you know, I've heard that, man, I wish, you know, I wish the, the, the PD would, would get out in front of this or, you know, would, would, would protect us and or, or you know defend us in some way, um, you know. Yeah, have you have, has that been your experience? I mean, you know, to to what degree um, is it a challenge to kind of balance um, a, a social media account as not only a source of information for the broader public, but also a way to to kind of connect with and stay engaged with with local cops. Yeah, it's it's a really uh, it's a really tough balance uh, because sometimes the messages don't align uh, exactly as you would like them to. Uh, and we always uh, at NYPD tried to make sure that the, you know, the, the broader New York community was our, our um, you know, our, our first audience, uh, but never lose sight of, of the cops because the cops are looking at that, too. And they're getting information from it. Um, and sometimes, you know, just being a large bureaucratic organization, uh, they might sometimes get things on social media before they've received them, before they've heard them from their, you know, supervisors. Um, so it was definitely a tough, a tough line 
uh, to walk. But I think we, when we saw it happening, we started to pay more, more attention to it and, you know, make sure that orders went down to police officers before they were announced on social media. Um, And just to make sure that, you know, officers knew that they weren't expected to learn uh, about things, you know, with the public that they do have, um, you know, they, they, things are communicated to them directly from their supervisors. Yeah, Anthony, I mean, I want to kind of get your sense um, as well, because, you know, you worked uh, in a department that, you know, uh, was was embroiled in, you know, um, uh, public outrage after a critical incident with Laquan McDonald. And a a lot of police officers I talked to um, in the CPD were sort of consistently communicating in the sort of months and, and years that followed that that they just uh, felt like the department had become really cautious and, you know, that, that it didn't always have their back. And, you know, they, it seemed to me like they were really starving for, um, uh, I guess, affection is, is one word you could use there from from the department, you know, the, a kind of way to reiterate in a public way, um, you know, that they weren't the problem. And is that something that that you were uh, sort of aware of in, in, in your management of, of these kinds of incidents? Is it, does it remain a challenge? And what would your advice be to other departments who are kind of dealing with the same thing? Yeah, Raphael, one of, you know, for too long, the, the police officers in Chicago were finding out what's happening in their department by Twitter or watching the six o'clock news because the, the last people that, that we told were the officers that worked there that were, that were doing the work. So probably one of my, biggest professional regrets is not building an internal communications function much earlier in, in my career. But w- but we did that in, in Chicago. Um, we ended up building a whole office that dedicated exclusively to informing our workforce about things that they might, issues that they might hear about in the news and arm them to be ambassadors uh, for part of the problem. Now, that that's not going to that's not going to solve every every malcontent, but it, it certainly allowed us to to form a connection with those that work for us because they they truly are our greatest assets, the men and women that, that do the job every day. Yeah. So I, I want to talk a little bit about critical incidents because, you know, this, I think, has been the source of a lot of angst um, directed at, at police departments around the country. And I do think there have been some missed opportunities um, for police departments to get out in front of incidents and, and be uh, more nimble and, and quick in communicating really important contextualizing details about uh, police-involved shootings, for example. Um, you know, I'm, I'm starting to see departments do this a lot more now where, you know, in the wake of a police shooting, they'll, they'll announce, uh, you know, that, that the incident happened. They'll give whatever details they can. But, you know, when possible, they'll also include, for example, a picture of the gun that was recovered at the scene so that, you know, it, it becomes clear, like, hey, this wasn't, you know, an unarmed uh, person who wasn't resisting. Um, you know, they are, are relatively quick, although I think they could be quicker sometimes to release body camera footage. Um, and one of the other things that I've seen is that a lot of departments are now narrating body camera footage in a way that highlights some of the really important details um, that the public may not catch in just a a straight watch through. Um, so Chief Acevedo, I want to go to you first. I mean, uh, to what degree do you think it's been useful um, to have social media as a tool to manage um, uh, the police department's response in the wake of a critical incident? And you know, do you, are, are there things that you think have worked particularly well 
um, or things that you would like to see departments try more often? Well, look, I, I think that uh, what's happened over the years is a lot of times folks that want to create mistrust and tear down uh, the relationship will post a snippet of a critical incident or some of the cop watch type of folks. Some of them are legitimately want to just simply show the full picture while others will only show the police uh, reaction or the outcome of the police um, crit- uh, critical incident, but they'll never show what led up to it. They'll, they won't provide the context. They'll just show angles that makes it look like the cops did something wrong. And so by actually being able to put out your own information, uh, your own photos, your own videos that actually bring and provide the context, you're able to quickly push back on that false narrative. Because if you don't uh, frame the truth and uh, you don't frame your message based on the evidence and based on the truth and you allow that uh, that false narrative to take off, good luck. Once it grows feet, good luck trying to uh, put that uh, paste you know, back in the tube. So uh, it, for us, it's been really, really important. I think really, really critical to put out information. And unfortunately, even to this day, too often, um, we're not putting out uh, information and recently there was a shooting in Michigan where there was a big debate about whether they should release the officer's name and you know I, I talked to the police executive and I said look the name's going to get out whether you put it out or not by not putting it out in a timely manner that's just making you lose uh, the public lose a little trust in your organization but the key to before you putting it out is making sure that the officer knows that we do a quick risk assessment, that we put some directed patrols on their home and that their social media, whether it's theirs or their families, have the right security measures so none of them have uh, uh, get blindsided. So information has to be put out. You have to frame it yourself because if you don't, again, there's a lot of efforts to try to put out misinformation. Yeah, Anthony, I want to go to you next because in the city of Chicago, um, last year, um, there was an incident in which there was a police-involved shooting, and somehow a message got out on social media that it was an unarmed child uh, that was shot and killed, and that you know, uh, turned out uh, to be completely false. But by the time the truth got out, so much public outrage um, had spread over social media that you saw the downtown area get swamped and stores were ransacked, and there was just a ton of, of, of property destruction uh, along the Mag Mile, uh, you know, is is was that sort of a learning, uh, a teaching moment? And and you know, what if anything would you add to to the chief's remarks there? Yeah, so I, I had an identical situation happen to me in Chicago. We had a, a young man uh, tragically take his own life after uh, being pursued by police with a gun. Uh, by the time the officers got to this young man, uh, it was too late. He he had already succumbed to his injuries. But the community heard gunshots and they saw police chasing him moments before. And immediately on social media, uh, it was put out that the Chicago police had, had killed a young man. Um, it was it was aggravated by the fact that, that one of the people on social media was a, a large uh, community influencer in, in the south side of Chicago. I'll, I'll leave the names out. But it it turned viral within seconds. I mean, this this is probably 30 minutes before the public information office was even notified that we had a, an incident, um, it was blowing up all over social media. So um, a huge learning lesson for us as public information officers to, to listen, right? Not, don't just go on there to post 
what you want to post, um, you know, to help your story, but listen to what people are saying on these platforms, especially in a situation like that, and, and do everything you can to correct the narrative. And I think, you know, going back full circle to what you started with, that's why police departments put out pictures of weapons. You know, that's why they're putting out as much information uh, that's accurate as possible during a critical incident is because we want to show transparency and we want to also show that, you know, that there's some trust in us to figure out what the facts are. Yeah, Al, I, w- I want to go to you. I mean, what would you say if you kind of had to list them out? Like, what are the best practices for a department dealing with the aftermath of a critical incident? How important is speed in terms of the response? What pieces of content, you know, uh, have the biggest effect are the most important in terms of managing the public reaction? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll open it to you. Yeah, uh, speed is very, very important. Um, you know, when I, when I talk about crisis communications, I like to divide it into before, during, and after. And there's a lot you can do to prepare before. And, you know, Anthony alluded to it a little bit, but monitoring, uh, even even small tricks like we would uh, have drafts in our, in our uh, cell phones of potential, you know, critical incident tweets. Uh, but monitoring, making sure you're aware of the situation. And then during a crisis, uh, as you said, speed is very, very important. Um, we'd always have a rule that there has to be a second set of eyes that goes out on every tweet because as much as speed is important uh crisis and stress is also the time when people usually uh tend to make mistakes right because it can be it can be very stressful um and then just kind of more a bigger picture thing i think uh it's important to remember during these incidents that your your job is not necessarily to get likes or to get people to like you or or to even turn a situation around um your job is to to give out the information and to frame it in a way that's very easy to consume. Um, and I see sometimes police departments might have an excellent message or a really important thing to say, but they'll put it out on Twitter in a form of like a, you know, a press release attachment. Uh, or they'll post, you know, maybe a really long video that people will have a hard time watching. So not only do you now need to put out that information, you also need to make it very, very easy to consume. So if it's putting it in a Twitter thread or if it's creating, uh, you know, titles for your video so people can watch it without sound. Um, the stakes are very high right now. And as people are scrolling through information, they're going to gravitate towards what's, what's easy for them to consume. So you can't just put out your good messaging. You have to actually uh, make sure that it fits well into the platform you're doing it. If it's Twitter or if it's, you know, an Instagram story. So, um, my late colleague, George Kelling, uh, was one of the things he always reiterated um, to me and, and you know, in his work and in his public um, speaking engagements was the idea that police departments derive their legitimacy from the communities that they serve. And so I do think um, that effective social media communications by police departments um, is a really important way to build trust with their community um, to engage with their community and to keep their community informed. But of course, social media platforms um, give you access to a much broader uh, constituency than say is is just in your community. And even within your community, um, there may only be a, a, a you know slice of people who are actually on social media. 
to what degree is it a challenge for police departments to sort of sift through messages and feedback that maybe don't reflect the concerns of their community? And, you know, is that a challenge in terms of managing presence? I'm going to direct this to Anthony first, um, you know, to, to kind of curate the message that you're putting out in a way that accounts for the fact that it's going to be heard by everyone around the world. Yeah, and that, that's certainly a challenge, right? Especially when you're dealing with a, an organization like Chicago, which is the second largest police department in the country. It's, it's you get a lot of people that are just interested in Chicago from from all over the world, and siphling through, you know, who actually cares about these issues uh, can be quite the, the task. I still think it's worthwhile for a dedicated person on staff to, as much as possible, listen and monitor social feeds. Um, to the question of, of, you know, reaching your local audience, I mean, there is a tool, there are tools that, that can go directly to people that live in your communities. And, you know, Nextdoor is a, a big example. The last police department I was in, Fairfax County, Virginia, Nextdoor was one of our most powerful tools to get information direct to consumer. And it was such a high engagement rate in that particular um, locality that um, every neighborhood was integrated into the Nextdoor platform, which was integrated into county government. So we had we had a variety of social media tools from Twitter, Facebook, Nextdoor, uh, you name it. But um, we were able to reach a variety of audiences. And I looked at it as each platform is, is a different tool for me to reach a different audience. I, I see that um, you know, we've got a pretty sizable audience. and I want to open things up uh, to questions in, in a little bit. So for those of you listening who you know, have something you'd like to ask one of the panelists, um, you know, just request uh, to speak and, and I'll, I'll try and bring you guys up um, one by one. But I want to ask a couple other questions. And uh, Chief Acevedo, uh, you know, uh, one of the other sort of really uh, burgeoning social media platforms that we're seeing is not just a communications platform, um, but one where citizens can actually report um, crime and disorder. And I'm thinking here of the Citizen app. And um, at least here in New York City, um, almost everyone I know in my neighborhood is using the app either to just get a sense of what safety is like in the neighborhood, um, but also to report things that they see. Do you see this as something that departments should be monitoring to inform their deployments? Um, I mean, you know, how useful is it to keep an eye on an app like that? Um, versus waiting for, you know, say the, the, the monthly police community precinct meeting to get a sense of what the public's concerns are. I, I think a police department in the 21st century has to monitor the entire uh, cyber uh, space uh, and the entire social media space. Uh, and you have to uh, monitor it for uh, information and, you know, for open source information. And when your communities. Uh, uh, taking the time to actually engage and to sign up for these platforms or get on these platforms, be able to communicate with you. If you make it a one-way communication, you know, you, you're missing, you're missing the boat. You, you should monitor it. You should engage with whatever platform it is and you should utilize that information and look for patterns to look for uh, themes and to look for concerns that, you know, that uh, may be legitimate, that may uh, inform you in terms of your policing strategies, your deployment strategies, and your priorities. And so uh, whether it's next door, uh, which, by the way, I was very proud that in Austin and uh, Houston, we really were able to expand the heck out of uh, the number of uh, neighborhoods using next door. Uh, you, if, if you're not on it, uh, you really are uh, missing the boat. And there could be a nugget there that you 
that you need, desperately should have learned, learned about. And if you miss it and it blows up on you uh, and it comes out that you had access to it, but you didn't bother looking for it. Uh, I think there's uh, some consequences. And so information is not just about what's putting, uh, you know, what you're putting out. It's what you're receiving, where you're receiving it and wherever you can receive data and information and intelligence, uh, you should be monitoring it. So it's, it's, I think it's very key. So I see we've got a couple of questions from the audience. So um, one last one for, for each of, of the panelists, and then we'll get to those. Um, what are your, you know, in, in 10 seconds each, what are your biggest social media wins and fails over your career? So we'll start with you, Yael. Oh, wow. Just just like that in, in 10 seconds, huh? <laughs> okay. Um, wow. Well, I'll, I'll pick two wins. I think the decentralization of the social media accounts uh, has been really, really helpful and it's still a helpful tool. And um, as well as um, what we what we did um, on a citywide level, which is an attempt to humanize the NYPD. So even if that means uh, using a different voice or just showing you know, stories of officers that go beyond the officer saving somebody or the officer being a hero, but showing their human side. Um, I think that was, those are the two uh, biggest, biggest wins. Um, biggest fail? I mean, there are, there are, of course, many. There are funny ones. There are not so funny ones. Um, but I think I, I would have liked, we started a role of a digital communication officer in every precinct. And I really would have liked to seen that uh, grow into something more, um, more than uh, a part-time kind of assigned duty. So I would like to see, uh, I would have liked to see a role in the precinct where there was an officer dedicated to community outreach in, in a digital way, uh, if it means, yeah, you know, emails, newsletters, connecting with the community, running the social media, of course. I think that that's probably the next uh, step when it comes to kind of modern police community relations. Anthony? Uh, I think I have two big personal wins with social media. You know, like Gal said, it, 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 to me, it was never about getting the largest audience size. You know, just where I happen to work were large American cities and certainly with, with their fair share of, of challenges uh, and, and violent crime. Um, the best win for me was when we would put out a critical incident, uh, you know, a shooting or, or violent crime, immediately getting community intelligence back, um, whether it be a description of a car or they saw somebody that matched a description. Uh, people were actually responding back to the police department in private messages to try to give information. That that was my biggest sense of validation because we were actually connecting with those that we serve. The second um, biggest benefit for me on social media, uh, again, back in Baltimore, we were, we were one, one of the first to use it as a as an engagement tool. And um, there was an, an active shooter situation at Johns Hopkins hospital. I think this was in 2010 and um, just, you know, kind of as these things go, there was a bit of a miscommunication into how the suspect in that incident um, ended up um, uh, being neutralized. He actually killed himself. Uh, it came out across the, the police scanners as the, the offender has been neutralized. And that was conveyed to me as though the police killed him. So I went out in front of a bank of news cameras and, and told uh, the public that we had killed this individual for an active shooter at, at Johns Hopkins turned out moments later that they corrected that and it was a suicide. I actually used Twitter to correct that narrative uh, seconds after it was said. And for the most part, news media ended up following the, um, the updated information. So it actually saved me uh, in a point where, where information was moving too quickly. I think my, my biggest failure, one of, one of my biggest failures was just 
the adoption of it. I, I wish that I had adopted it earlier in, in my career. And even though I was, I was pretty early uh, from when it came out, um, it would have just revolutionized. It has revolutionized the profession and it allowed departments to connect directly with, with individuals. And I just wish I had that much more time to build it into our strategic communications. Chief, last word before we go to audience questions. Uh, you know, for me, I think the biggest uh, win for us personally, for me personally, was Hurricane Harvey and how we were able to actually use social media as an extension of our 911 call center. And we were actually able to get people help that, that uh, had we not built that kind of uh trust and that kind of uh, transparency and that, and, and that tool that before that huge historical event, people would not have seen it as something they can use to get help. Uh, and I think the biggest, uh, the, the biggest loss would be is a, a couple of times, maybe, maybe not a couple of times responding too quickly to an issue uh, and, and, and maybe not having been as thoughtful as I should have been. Uh, and not really falling into and supporting having individual units uh, and growing the different individual unit, unit accounts, which I think that was short-sighted on my part because uh, the fact that they wanted to do it shows that they got it and they probably needed to be doing it. So I think I was a little, little hesitant and too slow in getting, uh, getting it expanded like, uh, like was just suggested a few minutes ago. Well. Thank you all again um, for the really fantastic remarks. Um, for those of you who maybe joined the conversation a little late and want to catch it all in its complete form, um, this will be repurposed as a City Journal podcast that will be available uh, in the days to come. So if you don't subscribe to the 10 Blocks podcast by City Journal, please do so. Um, and yeah, you know, I hope you'll stay engaged um, with the Manhattan Institute here on Twitter and everywhere else. We will be having more of these in the future. Um, so we are um, uh, really glad that you all joined us and look forward to doing this again soon. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bye. everyone. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.